You know, that's quite the prayer. All the things I say to you or for you bring you glory. Because I know there's a lot of stuff that comes out of my mouth. No, I'm not, not anybody out there, but may not always bring glory. But um, so that gives me pause to think on everything I was going to say. But let me show you a picture. That is uh, Chaplain Captain Albert Sanchez on a deployment in 2010 to uh, the United Arab Emirates. I had a picture of him uh, when we were deployed four years prior to that uh, to um, Iraq. And he was probably the hardest working chaplain I had on my staff. Roman Catholic priest. And those of you who know, have uh, been around Catholic priests, they are really limited on how many masses they can do on a Sunday. You, know, you get a Baptist, as long as somebody will come, they'll keep preaching. But to protect the priesthood, and I understand the rules and policies, and having had priests work for me as a military chaplain, I uh, often knew that they could only do three, even though we might have needed more. Father uh, Sanchez was doing five and more at Balad because we found out that not only did the Air Force need a priest, uh, the Army did, and some of the special organizations that I couldn't even get into. With my clearance, you had to, we called them the secret, secret squirrels. We couldn't get over there, but Father got in to go there. So um, about a month into the deployment, and forgive me for using so many military things, but uh, I told Brenda that this morning. I said, you know, I'm going to start off with a military thing, and they probably get so tired of that. I, I can't divorce myself from the 30 years of experience, and we also talk out of our experiences. But a month into it, I learned that uh, Chaplain Sanchez was up for major, and he was waiting on his promotion results. In fact, he had been up three times at least before, and those of you who know anything about the military, especially in officer promotions, if you don't make major as a captain, typically after two times, they say, thank you very much, thank you for playing, go home now. And because there's such a shortage in Roman Catholic priests, the Air Force had thought it wise to just keep extending him. And it would give him another year contract, even though he probably would not be able to get his 20 years for retirement. So um, when I knew that the board results were soon to be released, uh, I called Spangdalem. Uh, air base in Germany, which is where he was deployed from, to Iraq, and got a hold of the vice commander. Couldn't get a hold of the commander, understandably. Who, who's this chaplain from somewhere calling? And I got the vice commander, and I said, do you guys have the list? You know, it's supposedly here at Balad, but I haven't seen it, and do you know if Father's on it? And he goes, I know the list. I've seen the list. I said, so are you going to call him, or do you want me to get him into the office at some point where you can call him and give him the news? He said, no, you can. He didn't make it again. So, to know this guy, in fact, we, term, we use the term in the Air Force, passed over. And if I was going to give you a title for the message today, I almost thought about saying, passed over for Passover. But Father Sanchez was uh, from a very wealthy family in the Philippines, so much so that they had a multi-floor restaurant, and he said at one point, they got so big, they had to buy a rice plantation to supply the rice for their restaurant. He didn't need the Air Force's money. He wanted to serve the Lord, and what a faithful servant he was. Um, I texted Chaplain Mark Thomas. Most of you know the Thomases who were here and active, and now they have been reassigned to a base in Colorado. 
I said, uh, weren't you with Father Sanchez? I'm going to open up this morning with Sanchez. He goes, yeah, I was with him in California. And that was, this is in 2010. He's still a captain in 2010. He was a captain in 2006. He said he retired from there, not before he bought business cards with gold print on them, thinking he was going to make gold major leafs. So what a lifetime of disappointment in the Air Force. But Jesus got passed over by his people. He got cast aside. He got rejected by the ones he had came to save. In fact, if you have your Bibles, before we get to John 18, go back to John 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This is Jesus saying this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. Today we find Jesus led to Pontius Pilate, the Jewish leaders, with their, in fact, I almost titled this sermon, Unrighteous Indignation. Unrighteous Indignation. They thought they were righteous, but they were not. But in their unrighteous indignation, they wanted Jesus executed. If you would read the rest of the chapter of John 18, we're only going to take a few verses today. You will find that they passed over Jesus. Once again, there's that word. They passed over him for Barabbas. They passed over the Lamb of God to celebrate the ritual of Passover. Haddon Robinson was a preaching professor when I took a class at uh, Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and his style of preaching was to find the trouble in the text. What troubles you in the text? And then, hopefully, other people will be troubled by the same thing, and maybe you could talk about your trouble. My trouble this week, as I read this text, these four verses that I'll read over and over, how could religious leaders of the day foam at the mouth to want to kill an innocent man, but yet be so self-righteous that they didn't want to step into the Gentiles' house that had the power to do it because they didn't want to become ceremonial unclean and not be able to take the Passover. Before we pick up at 18, let me do one other thing. Put your finger in, in your Bible at John 13. And I've just... I'll read this. I was going to do it with you just by sight of eyesight looking at things. But here's just some of the things I wanted to bring out to your attention. We come today at sunrise of Friday, Good Friday. This is where the text begins today, at the beginning of the day. But on Thursday night, here's what's happened. Jesus wants to share a meal with his, his disciples. This is John 13. You know, five chapters ago, same, you know, within... 12 hours or so, he wants to share a meal with his disciples. He washes their feet. Peter says, no, not you, Lord, let me wash you. And, well, no, unless I wash you, you know, you'll wash me from head to toe. He really gets into it then. Then he goes on to talk about during that meal that one of you is going to deny me. And then eventually Judas gets up and he says, goes into the dark, and he goes to deny him. From there, he predicts that Peter will even reject or deny him. Seeing the trouble in his disciples' hearts, he gives that favorite verse that I love, let not your hearts be troubled. Remember that Greek word was agitated, like a washing machine. Their hearts were shaken that their Savior, their Messiah, 
would leave them. And he speaks about the difficult future that they're about to endure. And that's why I said in these four or five chapters that we've been looking at since John 13, some of the greatest teachings of Jesus to his disciples. And he's cramming it all into the, it's like me studying for a test. I'm going to learn everything the night before the test because they're going to give me a big test. And Jesus is pouring into them on that night. He tells them that there will be a room prepared for them. In fact, he won't leave them alone. He will send them the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit. We talked about that, Holy Spirit being the Rodney Dangerfield of the Trinity, the one who gets no respect. He elevates who that spirit is and what that spirit will do and how it will conform. It will challenge. It will champion the believer in this world. And he promises them that like he has overcome the world, if you believe in me, you too will overcome the world. They walk from that supper table to an olive grove. Some will say it's the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a little bit of you know, geographical question marks that people have as they look at this text. And there he prays his prayer for himself. He prays for his disciples. He prays for those who would follow after him. And after that come the soldiers, the soldiers who would fall down like bowling pins when he says, I am. And eventually they handcuff him or tie up his hands and lead him off to first Annas, the granddaddy, if you would, the godfather of the high priest, and to his son-in-law, Caiaphas. And eventually, in fact, John does not con contain the Sanhedrin trial that you have in Matthew and Mark. They talk about the Sanhedrin meeting in the evening. That's a group of the leaders of the day. That's all the top religious scribes, elders, the authorities on the law, all the priests that we get together, and they have already determined that Jesus should be executed. But they don't have the power to do it. And there they bring him to Pilate's house. It's now morning, and here's where we pick up at verse 28. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Now, there are many discussions where that was, if uh, Pilate was staying near, uh, there was a Roman fort on the northern side of, of the city. More than likely he stayed there. There's another interpretation. Maybe he was on the south side, but it makes sense if he was there on uh, the Garden of Gethsemane or somewhere near that olive grove. He was probably on the northeast side of the city. And they lead him there to the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. I think that's so ironic. <laughs> Let's murder somebody, but man, we better not, you know, defile ourselves so we can share this lamb meal here real soon. Pilate comes out to them. Doesn't say how he knew they were there, but obviously somebody had sent in for him. He comes out. He knows their practices. He's not a Jew, and I'll talk about a little bit about who Pilate is in just a bit. He says, what charges are you bringing against this man? I want you to read in there, see if you find all the charges. They don't list a one. Verse 30, he said, they say, if he were not a criminal, we would have not handed him over to you. He's a criminal. That's, his, that's our charge against him. He's a criminal. Pilate says, then take him yourselves and judge him by your own law, Jewish law. But we have no right to execute anyone. They did not have the power 
to put someone to death. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. So let's jump right into this, and I'll let you know that this term Passover, and some of you who are in the military, maybe that brings up some sad memories, but uh, I started reading about what Passover's mean in the business world. If you get passed over for a promotion in the business world, it says you are probably without the hard skills or the soft skills needed for the promotion. And You know, I'm not too smart. What's a hard skill? <laughs> that makes it hard right there. Hard skill is, let's, Wade always sits on the front row. Okay, Wade, I'm sorry. Hard skills for his job was, do you know how to work on the refrigeration systems? Can you put the stuff in and assemble them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? The soft skills would be, can you smooth, can you make teamwork and make the sale happen? So it's, you know, do you have the hard talent to do the job, and can you sell the job as a team or to others? Okay. These elders were the most informed, most Educated men of God's word of the day. Undoubtedly, they had many sections of it memorized, just as you do. Oh, wow. Now he's making connections with you and them. Oh, stand by. Sadly, they lacked the hard skill and the soft skill skills of faith. And they passed over the Lamb of God, a king, for a ritual. And that's our first point today, rejected for ritual. Isn't it crazy that those who knew the law, God's written word, better than anyone, still rejected their own laws? They violated some of the Ten Commandments just on what they were doing. They placed themselves above God. They lied about Jesus, and they wanted to kill. Three things that out of the ten. Here they are foaming at their mouths. Maybe they're hungry waiting for that Passover meal. You know, that's where they're drooling about. But they wanted to snuff out the life of the Son of God. However, they still wouldn't walk into a Gentile's house because they would be unclean for about a week. So they passed over the Lamb of God to recreate a time when God had saved his people. They passed over the one who would save his people to get to practice a ritual from a time before. The irony is that the Savior who would save them from their sins was being passed over for an annual feast. He was rejected for ritual. Historians have some information about Pontius Pilate. He was appointed to his position by Tiberius, the Caesar of the time of Rome, in 26 AD. And he held that position for about 10 years. Beyond that, we don't have a lot of good historical ev evidence. Uh, and some of that came from Josephus. Many of you have heard of uh, the Jewish historian Josephus. We do know that he married a royal family member. Perhaps some say she was an illegitimate child or daughter of Tiberius or even a granddaughter of his. But nonetheless, Pilate got 
status by marrying someone in the royal family. We can understand that. Some of us have married up. Men, you better be shaking your heads. Yeah, yeah, okay. And the Orthodox Church, that many, you know, they use many uh, oral traditions and uh, other non-canonical uh, writings. They give her the name Claudia, if you've ever heard that, her name being Claudia. In fact, they would go on to say she became a Christian, and they have other references of her name. And if you'll know from this that we're not going to get to today, she's the one who tries to say to Pilate, get this man away from us. This is a bad thing you're messing with, you know. Leave it alone. We do know that Pilate was harsh. Some commentators say he didn't like his assignment. Any military guys ever not like your assignment or gals not like your assignment? Sure, you know what we're talking about. And he was doing all he could do while he was there to impress the Roman leadership. In fact, he had the power of capital punishment. He could just wave his hand and you might be executed, and he was known to do that on many occasions. In fact, after Jesus' crucifixion, and perhaps the reason he was removed from power, is that there was a problem with the Samaritans. Those of you who know the story of the Good Samaritan, you know that group, that region of, of Israel. Well, he put down this small rebellion and killed many, many Samaritans. And little did he know that Samaritans had a somewhat okay standing with the Roman leadership, so he was removed, many commentators think, because of that. Well, Jewish law prohibited death sentences, and they prohibited it at night, at least, when they had the power. They had not had the power to kill someone of their choosing since 30 A.D. Makes sense that this is right about the time when Jesus is crucified, so they, they cannot, even though in their court system they could say, this person is deserving of death, they couldn't do it, so they had to go to Pilate. They needed him to make the decision. Incapable to execute, they led Jesus to Pilate. I got hung up on that over and over this week. The Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the place, to the palace of the Roman governor. How many times we have tried to lead Jesus somewhere rather than let him take us somewhere? What are the charges, I ask you? He's a criminal. Well, how? What makes him a criminal? Well... Some of you know, if you've been reading along, follow along, he claimed to be the son of the living God. That was heresy. That was blasphemy. That was reason to die right there in their minds. And they didn't list any charges, but I think I'm safe to say these might be some of the charges they might give. He wants us to change. He wants us to believe. He wants us to give up control. He wants us to follow him. Wow, I can read that from here, and that seems to be the same thing he wants us to do today. He wants us to change from our sinful ways. He wants us to believe in him as the Son of God, our Savior. He wants to give up our control, our power, and let him be in control, and he says, follow me. He wanted to transform them into the vision that God has for us. Restored, reclaimed, redeemed. And for the younger people who are dozing off now or 
you know, probably drawing on. We don't give bulletins. I used to draw a lot in church. Our church didn't have air conditioning. I sat in the balcony, and they had windows you could open, and you could make a paper airplane out of the bulletin. And if you get it just far enough, you get one of the parking lots. Thankfully, you don't have that now. I just know about those kids. I wasn't one of those. But for those of you who might be dozing off, uh, watch this, talking about transformation and transformers. And you've probably seen this. A home in Georgetown has attracted plenty of movie fans to the area where two statues have transformed the neighborhood into the talk of the old. town. But as Dave Laval tells us, their time in the neighborhood may be running out. Fans constantly flock to a section of Prospect Street in Georgetown. It's not hard to understand why. I like them. Do you guys want to take a picture in front of the Transformers? Uh-huh. Two Transformer statues have stood outside the home of Dr. Newton Howard since 2021. Let's see, that's Optimus and Bumblebee? I think they're pretty cool. I think that this really gives a lot more character to the whole neighborhood. So. But these Autobots may soon have to transform and roll out. The old Georgetown board said last week the statues have to go because they don't align with the neighborhood's aesthetics. People in the community have mixed emotions about the decision. I'm not a homeowner down here, so I don't know how I feel if I owned a home. If I want to walk out and see Bumblebee every day. There should be a way to like make sure that they don't get taken down because I think a lot of people are going to be really sad if they're taken down. They don't fit into the neighborhood. I agree with that. But I think it's a great thing. I think, why not? It's art. The board says Howard never got a permit for them which is another reason the statues must be removed. He told us last week why he had them installed. We can't reason. understand the deeper message that they carry uh, of inclusion and uh, transformation and being able to uh, change things and change status quo and whatnot. Or perhaps that message itself is something that's scary to them. It's not just the two statues outside Howard's home that would have to go. Add the one that stands watch from the roof. Howard vowed to appeal the ruling. I love them. I think they're a cool addition. It's a nice addition to the town. It's different. Just one of that part? In Georgetown, Dave Laval, DC News Now. I like his idea that we need to change, but it's sad to me that he sought transformation and deeper messages through science fiction characters instead of the son of the living God. Rejected for ritual and judged for you. Judged for you. The reading today cuts short Pilate's trial and judgment of Jesus. And as I said, many times the Gospels have um, similarities but different uh, elements of uniqueness. John makes it pretty short and, and quick, and, and we will get there in the coming weeks, but uh, I think it's important to, to set the tone that Jesus is going to be judged, and he's going to be judged for you. Verse 31 are some haunting words. Pilate says, take him yourselves and judge him, and I would stop right there. He says, by your own law. Take him and judge him yourself. Every day we make a judgment call on Jesus. Am I like those religious leaders who don't want to change, who don't want to believe, who don't want to give up, who don't want to follow? Remember that slide we had earlier? Remember that Jesus said, if you reject me, there is one who will judge you. 
And I think I have that text on another slide for you, perhaps. There you go. Read this with me. This is kind of unique for Baptists to read aloud. Shows you how many of us can still read. There is a judge with me for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at that last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Where was there evidence? He would be judged for you and me. Every day we make a judgment for or against Jesus. Uh, sorry, Wade, you got it again. But Wade told me this morning, uh, brother-in-law's in the hospital, right? And group text and, you know, multiple texts throughout the day on the progress and if you're working, and those of you who have ever been doing something and a text goes off, you know, could be the kids, better check it. You know, how many of you check your, how many of you are chained to your iPhone or your Android that you look at those texts all the time? You know, oh, I see a hand, okay. There are a couple honest people in here, yeah. I, now, there are some people in the congregation, I will say, I could text them at any time, and within like 30 seconds, I get the response. There are some people I can text once and I don't get a response for 30 days. <laughs> so maybe you can appreciate this guy. In Hawaii, there was a man who had um, a court order that he could not make contact with his girlfriend. This is Maui and it's before the fire. It's actually, I think, about three years old. I came across the article because it, it still it spoke to me. He, he said, uh, or the judge, when he violated this court order, he wouldn't have to have contact in, in the contact with her in the in two and a half hours one evening between like nine thirty and like twelve o'clock. He sent her his former girlfriend a hundred and forty four text messages. And Judge Rondalou L O O ordered the man to write a hundred and forty four nice text messages to her, without repeating a single one. She said, I really don't know whether to take your phone away or cut off your fingers. But you will tell her 144 nice things. Well, thankfully, God does not cut off our fingers, rip out our tongues, or take our phones away, although perhaps he should take the phones away. He doesn't stop hearing the prayers of his wayward children, but he will judge those who have rejected his son. Jesus had predicted his death in chapter 12. I think if you look about verses 20 through 30 or 33, he's talked about how he's going to die. And Pilate participates in fulfilling that prophecy by eventually carrying out the Jews' desire to kill Jesus. Another irony of the miscarriage of justice is that Pontius Pilate will be forever remembered for what he didn't do for Jesus. He could have said no. Now, granted, God had the plan, knew the plan, and that's the way it was going to work. And I was talking with someone right before we came into the service. If you grew up saying the Apostles' Creed, other than the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Mary, there's only one human name that's mentioned in the Apostles' Creed, Pontius Pilate, known throughout history as the man who Jesus suffered under. And let me 
because I am Baptist and I didn't memorize it. I'll just give you part of it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Jesus knew Pilate would fail. He knew the prophecy would be fulfilled. He also knows that you and I will stumble. We will fail him some days, yet he loves us anyway. He was judged for you and I. He who was innocent would be sentenced to die for our sins. And my last thought on this whole judgment thing, only because I watched a movie recently that had to do with lawyers and, and judges and that type of thing, and I'm old enough to remember Perry Mason. Oh, you're so old if you raised your hand, yeah. But I've also been watching TV long enough, there's law and order, like the 20 gazillionth season of that. So we are infatuated with what goes on in the courtroom. And have you ever noticed how a courtroom looks a little bit like a church? I mean, it's kind of weird. And some of you, maybe some of you are attorneys or have no attorneys or, or you've, you know, had attorneys in the family, but you know there's a defense and, and there's a prosecutor, there, there's a jury and there, there are witnesses, there's an accused, there, there are, uh, there's a judge, right? And, and today, you are the judge. What will your verdict be on the Son of Jesus or the Son of God, Jesus is he your savior? Will you change? Will you give him dominion over your life? Will you follow him? Will you believe in him? Now, the movie that got me uh, thinking about judges this week, uh, is Saul here today? You've seen it. I know. You, you saw it because they sent it to me. But in that movie, uh, they start talking about Johnny Cochran. And I, and I remember exactly where I was when Johnny Cochran was defending O.J. Simpson. Those of you who don't know either of those, you can go ahead and go to sleep. <laughs> Johnny Cochran's famous line was, if the glove don't, you must acquit. Very good. If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Well, hear me on this one. If the glove of Christianity doesn't fit your hand, maybe you ought to quit claiming to be one. Sandwich, please, we pray. Our Father, as we come to a time in this service that many times we might find ourselves with those religious leaders accusing an innocent man because he was challenging us to do something other than what we wanted to do. They didn't want to give him power. They didn't want to lose their authority. They did not want to follow your son. So they snuffed out his life. But thankfully... The grave could not contain him. And that his death, his blood, would become the redeeming act of salvation for sinners such as I and each one who's here today. And if we'll only place our faith in your son Jesus, if we will attempt to follow, if we will attempt to believe, if we will give him control, if we will let him have power over our lives, how we might find this world a better place to be. Father, speak to our hearts today and let us slip on the glove of Christianity and may it always fit. This I pray in Jesus' name.